Thank you, everyone, for coming on here today in AA Big Book Reading, page number 182. I'm Fernando, alcoholic, and I have my friend. Identify yourself, please. Uh, Alex, uh, Alex, alcoholic. Would you thank you so much for coming on here? Let's go ahead and open up with the uh, serenity prayer. And let's go ahead and uh, I'll let you start, Alex. All right, uh, serenity prayer. God. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the from. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Alcoholic number three, page 182. Take it away, Alex. Alcoholic number three. Pioneer member of Akron's group number one, the first AA group in the world. He kept the faith, therefore he and countless others found a new life. One of five children, I was born on a Kentucky farm in Carlisle County. My parents were well-to-do people, and their marriage was a happy one. My wife, a Kentucky girl, came with me to Akron, where I completed my course in law at the Akron Law School. My case is rather unusual in one respect. There were no childhood episodes of unhappiness to account for my alcoholism. I had seemingly just a natural affinity for God. My marriage was happy. I never had any of the reasons, conscious or unconscious, which are often given for drinking. Yet, as my record shows, I did become an extremely serious case. Before my drinking had cut me down completely, I achieved a considerable measure of success. Having been a city councilman for five years and a financial director of a suburb later taken into the city itself. But of course, this all went down the drain with my increased drinking. So at the time Dr. Bob and Bill came along, I had about run out of my strength. The first time that I became intoxicated, I was eight years old. This was no fault of my father or mother, as they were both very much opposed to drinking. A couple of hired hands were cleaning out the barn on the farm and I was riding to and fro on the sled. And while they were loading, I drank hard cider out of a barrel in the barn. On the return trip, after two or three loads, I passed out and had to be carried to the house. I remember that my father kept whiskey around the house for medical purposes and entertainment. And I would drink from this when no one was about and then water it water to keep my parents from knowing I was drinking. This continued until I enrolled in our state university, and at the end of the four years, I realized that I was a drunk. Morning after morning, I awoke sick and with terrible jitters, but there was always a flask of liquor sitting on the table beside my bed. I would reach over and get this and take a shot in a few moments, get up and take another Shave, eat my breakfast, slip a half a pint of liquor in my hip pocket, and go on to school. Between classes, I would run down to the washroom, take enough to steady my nerves, and then go on to the next class. This was in 1917. I left the university in the latter part of my senior year and enlisted in the Army. At that time, I called it patriotism. Later, I realized that I was running from alcohol. 
It did help to a certain extent since I found myself in places where I could not obtain anything to drink and so broke the habitual drinking. The prohibition came into effect and the fact that the stuff obtainable was so horrible and sometimes deadly and that I had married and had a job which I had to look after helped me for a period of some three or four years. Although I would get drunk every time, I could get hold of enough to drink to get started. My wife and I belonged to some bridge clubs, and they began to make wine and serve it. However, after two or three trials, I found this was not satisfactory because they did not serve enough to satisfy me, so I would refuse to drink. This problem was soon solved. However, as I began to take my bottle along with me and hide it in the bathroom or in the shrubbery outside. As time went on, my drinking became progressively worse. I would be away from my office two or three weeks at a time. Horrible days and nights when I would lie on the floor of my home and reach over to get the bottle, take a drink, and then go back into oblivion. Pass. During the first six months of 1935, I was hospitalized eight times for intoxication and shackled to the bed two or three days before I even knew where I was. On June 26, 1935, I came to it in the hospital and to say I was discouraged is to put it mildly. Each of the seven times I had left this hospital in previous six months, I had come out fully determined in my own mind that I would not get drunk again for at least six or eight months. It hadn't worked out that way. And I didn't know what the matter was and did not know what to do. I was moved into another room that morning and there was my wife. I thought to myself, well, she is going to tell me that this is the end. I certainly couldn't blame her and did not intend to try to justify myself. She told me that she had been talking to a couple of fellows about drinking. I resented this very much until she informed me that they were a couple of drunks, just as I was. That wasn't so bad to tell it to another drunk. She said, you're going to quit. That was worth a lot, even though I did not believe it. Then she told me that these two drunks she had been talking to had a plan whereby they thought they could quit drinking. And part of that plan was that they tell it to another drunk. And this was going to help them stay sober. All the other people who had talked to me wanted to help me. And my pride prevented me from listening to them. And it caused my resentment on my part. But I felt as if I would, would be a real stinker if I did not listen to a couple of fellows for a short time. If that would cure them... My wife also told me that I could not pay them even if I wanted to and had the money, which I did not. They came in and began to give me instruction in the program that later became known as Alcoholics Anonymous. There was not much of it at that time. I looked up and there were two great big fellows over six foot tall, very likable looking. I knew afterwards that the two who came in were Bill W. and Dr. Bob. Before long, we began to relate some incidents of our drinking, and pretty soon I realized that both of them knew what they were talking about. Because you can see things and smell things when you're drunk that you, that can, that you can't other times. If I had thought they didn't know what they were talking about, 
I wouldn't have been willing to talk to them at all. After after a while, Bill said, well, now you've been talking a good long time. Let me talk a minute or two. So after hearing some more of my story, he turned around and said to Don, I don't think he knew I heard him, but I did, he said. Well, I believe he's worth saving and working on. They said to me, do you want to quit drinking? It's none of our business about your drinking. We're not up here trying to take any of your rights or privileges away from you. But we have a program whereby we think we can stay sober. Part of that program is that we take it to someone else who needs it and wants it. Now, if you don't want it, we'll not take up your time and we'll be going and looking for someone else. The next thing they wanted to know was if I thought I could quit on my own accord without any help. If I could just walk out of the hospital and never take another drink. If I could, that was wonderful. That was just fine. And they would very much appreciate a person who had that kind of power. But they were looking for a man who knew he had a problem and knew he couldn't handle it himself and needed outside help. The next thing they wanted to know was if I believed in a higher power. I had no trouble there because I had never actually ceased to believe in God and had tried lots of times to get help but hadn't succeeded. Next, they wanted to know would I be willing to go to this higher power and ask for help calmly and without any reservations. They left this with me to think it over and I lay there on the hospital bed and went back over and review my life. I thought of what liquor had done to me, the opportunities that I had discarded, the abilities that had been given me, and how I had wasted them, and I finally came to the conclusion that if I didn't want to quit, I certainly ought to want to, and that I was willing to do anything in the world to stop drinking. I was willing to admit to myself that I had hit bottom, that I had gotten hold of something that I didn't know how to handle by myself. So after reviewing these things and realizing what liquor had cost me, I went to this higher power that, to me, was God, without any reservation. And I I admitted that I was completely powerless over alcohol and that I was willing to do anything in the world to get rid of the problem. In fact, I admitted that from then on, I was willing to let God take over instead of me. Each day, I would try to find out what His will was and try to follow that rather than trying to get him to always agree that that the things I thought of for myself were the things best for me. So when they came back, I told them. One of the fellows, I th- well, one of the fellows, I think it was Doc, said, well, you want to quit? I said, yes, Doc, I would like to quit at least for five or six or eight months until I get things straightened up and begin to get the respect of my wife and some other people back and get my finances fixed up, and so on. And they both laughed and laughed very heartily and said, that's better than you've been doing, isn't it? Which, of course, was true. They said, we got some bad news for you. It was bad news for us, and it will probably be bad news for you. Whether you quit six days, months, or years, if you go out and take a drink or two, you'll end up in the hospital tied down, just like you have been in these past six months. You are an alcoholic. As far as I know, that was the first time I have ever paid any attention to that word. I figured 
I was just a drunk. And they said, no, you have a disease and it doesn't make any difference how long you do without it. After a drink or two, you'll end up just like you are now. That certainly was real disheartening news at that time. Pass. The next question they asked was, you can quit 24 hours, can't you? I said, sure, yes, anybody can do that. For 24 hours, they said, that's what we're talking about. Just 24 hours at a time. That sure didn't take a load off my mind. Every time I'd start thinking about drinking, I would think of the long, dry years ahead without having a drink. But this idea of 24 hours that was up to me from then on was a lot of help. At this point, the editors intrude just long enough to supplement build these accounts that the man on the bed with that Bill W. The man who sat by the side of the bed says Bill W. 19 years ago, last summer, Dr. Bob and I saw him for the first time. Bill laid on his hospital bed and looked at us in wonder. Two days before this, Dr. Bob said to me, if you and I are going to stay sober, we had better get busy straight away. Bob called Aikland City Hospital and asked for the nurse on the receiving ward. He explained that he and a man from New York had a cure for alcoholism. Did she have an alcoholic customer on whom it could be tried? Knowing Bob of old, she jokingly replied, Well, doctor, I suppose you've already tried it yourself. <laughs> yes, she <laughs> Yes, she did have a customer, a dandy. He had just arrived in DT, had blacked the eyes of his two nurses, and now they had him strapped down tight. Would this one do? After prescribing medicine, Dr. Bob ordered, put him in a private room. We'll be down as soon as he clears up. Bill didn't seem too impressed, looking sadder than ever. He wearily ventured. Well, this is a wonderful for you, fellows. But it can't be for me. My case is so terrible that I'm scared to go out of this hospital at all. You don't have to sell me religion either. I was at one time a deacon in the church, and I still believe in God. But I guess he doesn't believe much in me. Then Dr. Bob said, well, Bill, maybe you'll feel better tomorrow. Wouldn't you like to see us again? Sure, I would, replied Bill. Maybe it won't do any good, but I'd like to see you both. Anyhow. You certainly know what you're talking about. Looking in later, we found Bill and his wife, Henrietta, eagerly, he pointed to a safe. These are the fellows I told you about. They are the ones who understood. Bill then related how he had lain awake nearly all night, down in the pit of his depression. New hope had somehow been born. The thought flashed in his mind. If they can do it, I can do it. Over and over, he said this to himself. Finally, out of his hope, there burst conviction. Now he was sure. Then came a great joy at least. Peace stole over him and he slept. Before our visit was over, Bill suddenly turned to his wife and said, Go fetch my clothes, dear. We're going to get up and get out of here. Bill D. walked out of that hospital a free man, never to drink again. Day's number one group dates from that very day. Bill Dean with his relationship. It was in the next two or three days after I had first met Doc and Bill that I finally came to a decision to turn my will over to God and to go along with this program the best that I could. 
their talk and actually had instilled in me a certain amount of confidence. Although I was not too absolutely certain, I wasn't afraid that the program would, wouldn't work. But I still was doubtful whether I would be able to hang on to the program. But I did come to the conclusion that I was willing to put everything I had into it. With God's power and that, and that I wanted to do just that. As soon as I had done that, I did feel a great release. I knew that I had a helper whom I could rely upon, who wouldn't fail me. If I could stick to him and listen, I would make it. I remember when the boys came back, I told them, I have gone to this higher power and I have told him that I am willing to put his world first, above everything. I have already done it and I am willing to do it again here in the presence of you, or I am willing to say it at any place, anywhere in the world from now on and not to be ashamed of it. And this certainly gave me a lot of confidence and seemed to take a lot of the burden off me. I remember telling them too that it was going to be awful tough because I did some other things, smoked cigarettes and played penny ante poker and sometimes bet on the horse races. And they said, don't you think you're having more trouble with this drinking than with anything else at the present time? Don't you believe you are going to have all you can do to get rid of that? Yes, I said reluctantly, I probably will. They said, let's forget about those other things, that is, trying to eliminate them all at once, and concentrate on the drink. Of course, we had talked over quite a number of the failings that I had and made a sort of an inventory, which wasn't too difficult, because I had an awful lot of things wrong that were very apparent to me. Then they said, there is one other thing you should go out and take this program to somebody else who needs it and wants it. Of course, by this time, my business was practically non-existent. I didn't have any. Naturally, for quite a time, I wasn't too well physically either. It took me a year or a year and a half to get to feeling physically well, and it was rather tough. But I soon found folks whose friendship I had once had, and I found after I had been sober for quite some time that these people began to act like they had in previous years before I had gotten so bad so that I didn't pay too awful much attention to financial gains. I spent most of my time trying to get back these friendships and to make some recompense towards my wife, whom I had hurt a lot. It would be hard to estimate how much AA has done for me. I really wanted the program and I wanted to go along with it. I noticed that the others seemed to have such a release, a happiness, a something that I thought a person ought to have. I was trying to find the answer. I knew there was even more, sometime, something that I hadn't gotten. And I remember one day, a week or two after I had come out of the hospital, Bill was at my whole house talking to my wife and me. We were eating lunch and I was listening and trying to find out why they had this release that they seemed to have. Bill looked across at my wife and said to her, Henrietta, the Lord has been so wonderful to me, curing me of this terrible disease that I just want to keep talking about it and telling people. Pass. <clears throat> I thought, I, I thought, I think I have the answer. Bill was very, very grateful that he had been released from this terrible thing. He had given God the credit for having done it. 
and he's so grateful about it. He wants to tell other people about it. That sentence, the Lord has been so wonderful to me, curing me of this terrible disease that I just want to keep telling people about it, has been a sort of golden text for the AA program and for me. Of course, as time went on, I began to get my health back and began to be so. I didn't have to hide from people all the time. It's just been wonderful. I still go to meetings because I like to go. I meet the people that I like to talk to. Another reason that I go is that I'm still grateful for the good years that I've had. I'm so grateful for both the program and people in that I still want to go. And then probably the most wonderful thing that I have learned from the program, I've seen this in the A grapevine a lot of times. And I've had people say it to me personally, and I've heard people get up in meetings and say it, is this statement. I came to a solely for the purpose of sobriety, but it has been through AA that I have found God. I feel that it, I feel that it is about most wonderful thing that a person can do. Amen. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. That was an awesome reading. <clears throat> um, one of the things I got out of this, it's a sh- good format to get someone started. You know, you read it and you ask them, you know, which... Uh, what player is playing your part? You know, what do you believe? What do you think? Do you, when he said he asked if you have your power, do you want to stay sober? You can do it just 24 hours at a time. Don't try to fix your IRS and your district attorney and all your stuff all at one time. You know, in the beginning, like stop smoking. A lot of people do that. Uh, just it gives you a good uh, outline to get someone started. And then the key do question is do you want to get sober do you you want to go through extremes of and he gave him a chance to reflect on his past and how he did it by himself how many tries because i myself didn't think the program was going to work when i first came in you know and i knew the first statements that said that i was powerless you know oh yeah a hundred times powerful that's a yes yes that's that's you know that's accepted. I wasn't not in denial, but it's just I couldn't find anything that would stop the uh, and take out the hurt out of the stomach, you know, and just kept drinking to keep the hurts down in the one after another. Pass. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just really enjoyed it. Just take things slow. Um, just to take things slow and start little by little. Don't set a big goal for yourself. Don't look too far ahead because if you set a big goal and you look too far ahead, you could get a little, take a little too long and just get discouraged along the way. But yeah, uh, yeah, I really like the story too because it talked about almost like the beginning of AA basically, like how it started so small with just two people and then grew little by little and how Dr. Bob and Dr. Liu went to these people, you know, looking for to spread the word. Yeah. yeah, that is so true. They they look for a, a a person that was intelligent enough to look at his past and see how many failures he had in his life, and and then and they and they communicate it. You know, very very profound, and it's wow. It's, it's amazing how um, they were so confident in that. You know that he was worth saving. 
or worth working for. You know, we work with so many people that don't give us a straight answer. They they have trouble with God, and, or they they don't have a higher power. They don't, uh, or they, uh, you know, they're stuck in denial <laughs> of their past. You know, so thank God for the uh, program. You know, though the awakened ones that we can continue to go help others. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and helping me in my recovery like they are. It just sharpens me more now. And review, review, review. <laughs> thank you so much and uh, have a great uh, day and great weekend. Uh, I'm looking forward for our next reading. Alex, thank you so much for being consistent in these readings. We appreciate you. Thank you, Fernando. I appreciate you as well. Thank you. Let's go ahead and finish off with the Lord's Prayer, please. Whose Father? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, keep coming back. Thank you, Fernando. Thank you. Bye. See you later, Alex. Thank you. I will see you.